back. Here we are. We're still talking about narcissism. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to our previous episodes, um, you still can jump in here, of course. But we decided to start a series on narcissism just because it's such a buzz in all the places on the Instagrams and the TikToks and the books. And just I feel like it's a really hot topic right now. So we really wanted to break it down with a clinically sound foundation. So that's what we're doing for you. Our last two episodes were about the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual characteristics of narcissism. So Mm -hmm. this is the third of that installment. Our first one just kind of introduces our heart behind it and the definition itself and just why why we chose this season. Mm -hmm. And what we have coming up for you are some questions from some therapists and some others that um, have to do with narcissism and ways to deal with it. So that'll be coming up soon and who knows what else well we just kind of rabbit trail and get an idea you know how we are mm-hmm. we're fun that's what we are we're fun we're trying we to make it fun, fun. Yeah. what well, is fun this stuff is fun i think um at least for me yeah i think so i, I know i remember when i started grad school and was like i get to do this like this is cool like okay i love it <laughs> well one of the things that is a telltale sign of narcissism is lack of empathy mm. Like, and man, is that a hard one mm-hmm. from somebody who feels pretty deep, <laughs> at least for me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a, like when I feel it, I feel it. Like it's yep. in my bones. And you know what? One of the things I just, I don't dislike about myself. That's probably not a good way to say, but I cry when I'm mad. Yeah. <sighs> Same. And that's so frustrating because people are like, oh no, you're sad. And I'm like, no, no. I'm not. <laughs> like rage monster slash the Hulk wants to come out, even though I'm tears streaming down my face. Empathy is just so, it's such an important piece. It is. It is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I cry when I'm mad too. And I don't like that. I do it either, but I shouldn't be, if any of my clients are listening to this, don't, don't talk about that when we're in session next, that I don't like that. I cry when I'm mad. I'm I'm not being confronted by that by you. I'm just kidding. You can talk about it if you want to. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't love that. Um, but I like less whenever I'm confronted by a person who doesn't know how to empathize. Do you know how a narcissist empathizes? I d- they don't empathize. Oh, no. This is how they empathize, in my opinion. Okay, what do you got? They one-up your story. So if you were to say... it's a really good point. If you were to say, I'm sad about X, Y, and Z... They're going to be like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I'm really sad because this really X, Y, point. and Z. Or they'll be like, well, this one time I was so sad about LMNOP that I couldn't even get out of bed for two days. To literally what you've done just then is taken their emotion, thrown it on the ground, stepped on it. What do they have to stand on now? How can they talk about being sad? You've just trumped their story. They found a way to make it about themselves. So ugly. How interesting. Don't do that. I don't do that. Don't do that. Empathy doesn't look like that. What does it look like? Ooh. You know, I think there is some element when I use empathy that I will bring myself or something into the thing. Like, I think there's a way to do that. But I think it's letting that person's emotion and experience have most of the space. Because mm. that's really what it is. I don't know how it feels. If you were to say to me, Cassie you know, you stepped on my toe and I felt like this when you did it. Great. Like that's your experience. If I want to insert myself and assume what your experience is going to be, 
how is that ever going to be helpful, especially in a therapeutic setting? Mm -hmm. I need to stay not knowing and inquisitive. What did it feel like when I stepped on your toe? Mm -hmm. How did that make you feel? Like, what was going through your mind? Like, what did you think? What were some assumptions you had? That's Mm -hmm. empathy, right? Is saying, like, I really want to grasp Mm -hmm. how you feel more than I want to feel right. Yeah, I love that. My line for my clients whenever I'm trying to teach them how to hold emotional space for their partners is the first thing that I'm teaching is get curious. I'll say get curious. And so if they're sharing in therapy, you know, while obviously then I'm there and, you know, they say, husband, it really hurt my feelings whenever you didn't take the trash out after I asked you to take the trash out a hundred times. And he says, well, I'm sorry, I forgot to take the trash out and I won't do that again. I'll be like, whoa, 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 can we go backwards? Can you get mm-hmm. curious about that? And mm-hmm. he was like, you know, I've, I've had situations where they're like, get curious about what? I didn't take the trash out and I'm sorry I didn't do that. Oh. And I'm like, no, 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 if we can get curious, it takes us somewhere. So I teach curiosity will produce a depth of understanding. Ooh. A depth of understanding will produce compassion. A depth of compassion will produce empathy. Those are the steps that I'm teaching that I made up all by myself. If that's in a book somewhere, I'm not copying you. It's just, it's just like how I, it's how I make it make sense. Because a lot of people are like, how do we get to empathy? For a narcissist, the lack of empathy um, that they have, I think is difficult, again, to diagnose. It's, di- it's hard to diagnose a person that lacks empathy, in part because you see body doubling. You see that they are going to be like, okay, I will model what I have seen. Yeah. So I've got clients that have been in relationships with, with narcissists that will say, you know, but my ex-partner or my partner does blank. Isn't that empathy? Is, so when my five-year-old is crying when they skint their knee and my partner gets down on their level and talks to them and whatever, isn't that them empathizing? And, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, yes and no. Mm-hmm. But what I think that the DSM is talking about, you know, is lacking that sense of empathy is because it, 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 it doesn't expand on that, by the way. I think it, it requires a certain level of depth. You know, like, can I connect on an emotionally immature level and pretend empathy for my five-year-old? Yeah. Do you think you're empathizing? Probably. But really, I think the sense of empathy that the DSM is talking about is like for the things that are emotionally age appropriate for where you are. Yeah. And so... I think sometimes that that's missing. I also would remind, I said this, um, I think two episodes ago, you only have to meet five of the nine criteria, right? And so a lot of times I'll have clients to be like, my partner lacks sympathy. They must be a narcissist. And I'm like, oh, okay. Or they weren't just modeled that when they were growing up. So you have to teach yeah. them how to could be, be a lot of things. Yeah. Could be masking. Could be, could be a lot of things. Maybe your partner's on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of different ways of looking at like lack of sense of empathy, but much like Cass said in another episode as well, is that sometimes we take one feature of this criteria and try to wrap it around a human and be like, because my partner lacks empathy, they must be a narcissist. Right. right. And to that, I would say no. <laughs> No, just a simple no. no. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. well, and I, I think sometimes that. what happens with that is like, you know, that goes with this is oppressive behavior. Yeah. Because it's like, if you're going to have emotions that are going to require me to put on your shoes, so to say, I'm going to then now oppress you because I don't like how that is. I don't like that I might feel less than. So now I'm going to just assume, you know, like, I'm not going to want you to go there. I'm not going to, I'm going to oppress you so you don't feel those things Uh or even talk to me about them anymore. 
Yeah. And so you'll find that there's a lack of emotional space in those relational dynamics. And even if we can translate that over to what that might be like in the workplace, right? Mm. You have those individuals that might say something like, case closed, end of discussion. Oh, wow. That made me feel a way when you just said it like <laughs> that. I don't like it. I'm always like, they <gasps> said what to you? Like my body had a response. Yeah. My heart just started racing. Oh, like God. I just have to acknowledge that. That must have been something that was said to me, like end of discussion. Like that is like... You've just shut me down totally. Where do you go from there? Oh, right. Don't do that to me. I won't do that to you. Okay. I think that's crazy because I mean, if we can go backwards, right. If, if, to the counselors that are listening, right. We are hardwired to ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> we are hardwired to dig deeper. That's like, that is literally in our DNA structure is to be inquisitive and to dig in. Good. So tell good a counselor, don't do ask me questions. Do not do that. That is dangerous territory. Ladies oh, and gentlemen, my do gosh. not do that. Don't right? do it. But, you know, that oppressive behavior for a narcissist will come in and they will do that. They'll be like, you know, that's the end. A pastor might say something to you like, you know, I feel in my spirit. Oh, (laughs) right. Oh, my gosh. I hear the Lord saying, I feel in my spirit that we can't go. We should not go any further. Or this is gossip or this is whatever. If there's too much emotion there and they don't know what to do with it, they might mislabel it. A narcissist might mislabel that and call it something that it definitely is not as a means to derail the conversation because they don't know how to hold space, right? And so then they put these weird labels on things that I don't fully understand. But oppressive behavior is a really good one to point out because it's consistently going to come in and say, hey, be less emotional, be less bright, Hmm. be less smart, be less driven, Wow, you know, be less. So if you're in a relationship like that, I'm really sorry, seek counsel. (laughs) But not from us because... No, really, you could, but you already know what we're going to tell you. We're going to say, uh, yeah, you should probably start learning how to boundary set with that person. And if you can't boundary set with a person that you're in a relationship with, you're likely in an abusive relationship because that's a starting point. People don't like it when therapists say that. People pay me to do counseling with them because I literally will cut through it. Like, I... I'll just be like, which is why I'm so mad that you can't be my dumb therapist. Why can't you be my therapist? <laughs> Sorry. So it's a dual relationship. But literally, like, I love that about you is like, let's just get down to brass tacks. Let's be done. I'm going to cut the crap. Yeah. I mean, abuse is occurring in a relational dynamic when we knowingly will, will skip over the boundary of an individual. It's like, I know what the boundary is and I just don't care. And I'm like, cool, that's abusive. And then, you know, for a narcissist or an emotionally immature individual that might be in my office, and they look at me like I have three heads when I say something like, but that's abusive in nature because you've hurt her boundary or you've hurt his boundary. And you're knowingly disrespecting that boundary. That is abusive. And people don't like that word because they've, they've, they think they understand what that word is. Yeah. But when you talk about the connection between empathy oppressive behavior. And then the last one, which we'll go into in a minute, resentment of other people. It's like, it's a really interesting uh, progression that I think you can see in terms of how we would isolate, which I feel like we need a whole episode on how a narcissist isolates. Yes, we do. We do. Um, And how they will control the people in their lives by also silencing them, which we've talked about in other episodes. If you're in a relationship where that is happening and you're being silenced, you're probably not in a very healthy relational dynamic, you know? Yeah. You know, and it's like, I think you said something there that's really, that was really important and my brain is trying to go back to it. But the word abuse, I think, I think that we fear that word. Oh yeah. And I think that there's so many people like, just because I were to say to someone that's abusive behavior 
doesn't mean that you throw the baby out with the bathwater. For sure. Right. But I think that's what people think, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you called something abuse. Like the flags fly and it's red and it's scary. and My whole life's going to blow up now and I'm going to be in a halfway house or a shelter. I have to like abandon everything. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like that word can be said. Yeah. You know? And I think a lot of times where that negative connotation comes from is from actual abusers, actual abusers who don't want to hear no, they definitely don't that hear what they're doing is abusive. Right. But, but, it, but if you're so hardly affixed to your, again, idyllic fantasy, which is what a narcissist does, I'm so, you know, hardly driven into that fantasy. They don't like people like us. Because when a counselor comes in and says, let me label it what it is, then they're like, you're the enemy. And I'm like, I'm cool to be the enemy. I don't really care if you think I'm the enemy or not. What I care about is whether or not we have set you up on a pathway to healing. And you can't heal if you live in denial. What? You can't. You can't heal while you're swimming in denial. You can't do it. You just can't. You got to be on dry land. Right? And so, I mean, I think you make a good point, right? They don't like it. It sends up all these signal flares. But more than anything, it kind of offends them at the core because it's like, I'm going to tell you what this actually is. And you don't want to look at it. But But can I tell you this? As someone who's healed from a lot of abuses and things like that, it's like the moment you start acknowledging things for what they are, you now no longer have the capacity or tolerance to sit in an abusive situation and try to make it non-abusive. That's right. Like I find myself after kind of coming through a lot of healing personally that now I can't be in a situation where abuse is going on very long. Like I'm literally going to be like those flags are flying and I can't put them all down really quickly. Like it just doesn't work. Like you have to see the situation as abusive and you have to call it. Another thing I always yeah. say, and you may have heard me say this on the podcast before, but it's like, you can never put truth back in the dark. Mm-hmm. Like if I brought you to my home and showed you my living room and was like, look at this, I have a green couch. Like, look at my couch and look at my rug. But then I ushered you out and was like, never mind, never mind, never mind. Forget that. Like you cannot forget the visual of my house. Right. Like I can never take that truth and put it back in the dark again because you've now seen my living room with the lights on, the color of my couch. And I think the same is with truth. Like once you present truth as a therapist, as a friend, as a sibling, as a partner to someone, you can't put it back in the dark. And I think that's what happened for me. It was like, this isn't okay. I mm-hmm. remember my college roommate saying to me, like I spent a lot of time with her family. And I remember her saying to me one day, I'm exactly where I was. She's like, you know, this isn't normal, right? Mm. And I just remember those words and being like, oh, crap. She's right. It isn't. And I could never put that back in the dark, right? So it's like I'd go see things and I'd really want my family system to be back to how it was. But my brain saw truth and I couldn't put that back in the dark again. And I had to face it. And I think that's like when healing begins is when you start to see the truth that you can't put back in the dark. And so I always believe, too, like that when you say something, you may think it's falling on deaf ears, but you can't put it back in the dark. So whether that person thinks about it once or that person thinks about it a thousand and one times, it's not up to me anymore. But I've said my piece and I know that I've put it out there and I've done all that I can do. I love that. That's, you know, I, I think I use the terminology like seed planting. 
we don't always get to see the 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 benefit of the seed that was planted and certainly as clinicians if you're young practicing clinicians just starting out there are gonna be times where you're planting seeds into people's lives into you know marital dynamics or into workplace situations and you won't ever get to see, you may not ever get to see the benefit of, of laying that seed in place. I've worked with individuals that had counselors in earlier places in their life. And something that I do with a lot of my clients that had counselors that were influential that maybe they're not seeing anymore and they're working with me for whatever reason that is, is I'll say, can you, can you go back and just write a letter about the influence that they had on, on, that, on your life? And if you feel so led to do it, can you just mail that letter to that therapist? Mm. Because therapists need encouragement too. They do. We do. It's kind of cool to find out later on. When your client says, that helped me so much. Yes. Yes. It's it's kind of cool, you know, 20 years later to hear from a client who said, you know, hey man, my, my therapist from 20 years ago who was working with me when I was still married to this person, they spoke this into my life. And now fast forward, I've been divorced for 10 years, but you know, this changed my life. And so- Two counselors that are out there that are maybe feeling overwhelmed and weary, you never know um, the effect that you're having on people, the impact that you're having by calling those things out, even though they're hard. And dealing with narcissists is a hard thing. It's yeah. a hard uh, category of personalities to um, counsel. It and is. so, you know, with that, you're going to have a lot of, um, even, even as a clinician, you're going to be greeted by oppressive behaviors. And you're likely going to be greeted by the last part, which we need to cover just real quickly, which is resentment. The resentment that comes up of like, you know, wanting, having jealousy, having resentment towards um, other people is definitely something that narcissists battle with as well. And they have, the DSM says it this way, resentment of others or a conviction that others are resentful of him or her. Meaning I... And maybe it's wrong, but I kind of see this one as like using resentment and jealousy kind of interchangeably, though they mm-hmm. are different in terms of the mm-hmm. feeling. But, you know, in terms of a narcissist saying, oh, I bet they want what I have. Oh, right. And um, you'll see that um, with those particular characteristics as well. And they'll ostracize people that they believe want what they have, but they will ostracize people also for not wanting what they have. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. You're darned if you do, darned if you don't. (laughs) Very hard. Yeah. And when you're confronting narcissists, just by the way, it's not possible to really confront a narcissist. They will excommunicate you forever when you do it. So if you've had those experiences um, with friends or, you know, bosses or whatever, you will lose your job if you confront a narcissist and you won't move. You won't see the gray. You will lose friends if you refuse to see the gray. Uh, you will lose relationships, parent, uh, uh, parents, you, you might lose your parents too. I've had that happen. Uh, I've worked with a lot of women that had mothers that were narcissists and fathers that were narcissists. Um, so just bear that in mind. And if you're going through that, uh, it feels very, very um, traumatic yeah. to move through that, trying to call out what you see in another individual, maybe even calling it out with compassion and love and grace and still being met with um, complete um, you know, emotional cutoff where a person's just like, I don't care, you know, what you've meant to me at the, up until this point in my life, because you're calling out um, resentment or you're calling out the fact that I lack empathy, I will excommunicate you forever. It's like, kind of, you're dead to me. And I was actually telling Cass before we started recording this episode that I think those are the experiences that I've had in my life mm-hmm. that have been some of the most befuddling. Because for my brain as an empath, I'm a really, really em- empathic person when people just cut off and just, you know, I talked about that a little in ghosting as well. I just don't understand that. I'm just very much like, oh, how how do we get into a place where you can just, you know, wash your hands with somebody and just be like, 
oh, I'm done. But you know, you know, I think I, this takes me back to something you said a few minutes ago that my brain can't let go of. Like you were saying something like it's really difficult to counsel a, um, a narcissist, but I also think it's sometimes difficult to counsel a victim of a narcissist oh, yes. because, you know, when they get in the love stage or the drawn in stage, it's like, well, my therapist said that you're not good for me. So then, you know, then that, that person's going to ghost you. Like you're saying, like literally like no long, like I can't see you anymore. My husband or my wife says you're not good for me. And mm-hmm. you're literally like, yeah, cause you ran home and told him I said uh-huh. you were blah, 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 or blah, 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 or blee, blee, blee. And uh-huh. like now they're mad. And it's like, I think that's such a tricky place because it's like, how do you tread lightly? But then not, I don't want to be ghosted by my client in that capacity either, because I feel like I want yeah. to help them. No, I completely agree with that. And that happens a lot. There is a true risk factor of people who uh, have been victimized by narcissists um, to not, they won't listen until they're ready. And for that reason, whenever I'm working with individuals that are coming in to care with me and asking, you know, because people will ask me pointed questions. I won't usually answer them. But like, should I stay in this relationship? Is this a harmful relationship? I don't see the benefit in answering that question. No benefit. Because well, I'm, I'm glad be, you feel like that too, yes. because I'm like, you got to find that on your own. Because if I tell you, right. Then guess what happens? It all yes. falls. This is what I tell my students. It all fall apart. You tell them to leave. They're broke. They're living in a cardboard box on the side of 35. Mm-hmm. And guess where they're going to come? They're mm-hmm. going to come right to you. And they're going to be like, you why me. did you tell me to yeah. leave? What happened? And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, no, I don't want that. I got I enough responsibility on my own to try to live my own life, let alone to uh-huh. try to live yours too. What's your gut say? What do you feel you should do? Uh-huh. Sounds like maybe you really need to spend some time sorting that out this week. Can't wait to hear what you conclude. Like, you know, giving, throwing it back, throwing it back, throwing it back. Yeah, for sure. Because when they find it on their own, they don't go back. That's right. Well, and, and if they're, oh, heaven forbid, on the side of 35 in a cardboard box, there ain't nobody to blame but themselves because they chose it. It's, it's true. nothing to do with me. You're not trying to come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say too, if I have any clients that are listening, because some of my clients have started listening to this, like if you have been in a relationship with a narcissist and you've gotten out, I just want to say that, you know, it's such an amazing thing that you've been able to dig yourself out of that hole. Snaps. For real. It's just so amazing. If you're struggling with that in any kind of a relational dynamic um, now, I want to speak to that too and say, it's possible to get out. It is. It's it is. hard. You're going to feel like you're detoxing from a literal drug because codependency feels like oh. a drug in your body. If you're in a relationship with a narcissist, you're also codependent and that's all. Like Period. you need to know that you yeah. are codependent and it will definitely feel like you are quite literally detoxing from a drug. Yes. And so, you know, if you need help with that, seek help, you know, and you know, figure out step by step how to rebuild the elements of your life that you can while you try to detox from this person and, and get free. That's so good. Yeah. Thanks. I love that. It's so true. You, there is hope. There is. Let's deal out some hope. Yeah. That's good. Well, next time, I mean, we've got a couple of things. I think we want to talk about isolation and silencing. I feel like maybe we'll throw in some questions before then, though, just because who knows what direction that'll take us. But we're going to keep this series going until we really feel that it's time to stop. Yeah. I, I feel like it's a big passion for the both of us. And 
Um, we also are open to topics. If you feel like there's a topic maybe around narcissism or maybe it's from left field and has nothing to do with narcissism, feel free to email us, diaryofatherapist at gmail.com and just tell us, what do you want to hear about? We um, are always open to new ideas and new concepts, but at yeah. this point in time, I feel like this is kind of a little place where we've built our tent and are going to camp for a moment. But um, your questions are welcome, and we're so thankful that you would take time out of your day to listen. Yeah.